morning. Welcome to Creekside. So, this week, Tuesday, I think it was, was National Hug Day. So, in honor of, what do you think I have to, you know, we got to hug somebody. Everybody hug Anna over there. She wants lots of hugs. Everybody remain standing as we read from Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter." For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have told us these things beforehand. Thank you that we have hope because Jesus came and gave his life for us. We have hope In all situations in life, whether good or bad, whether in fear or in happiness, we know that someday we're going to be in glory with Jesus. So thank you that even though there is suffering and hardship on this earth and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse, God, we have hope 
And man, we want to bring that message to the streets. We want people everywhere to have hope, and we want to lead them to a devoted relationship with your son, Jesus. So God, help me to serve well this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So um, earlier this week on Thursday, I was meeting with uh, a mentor of mine and friend, Mike Klink, who is um, Allie Carl's father. And we were talking about how in a lot of churches, there's, there could be a danger of people getting excited um, or really not excited and judging their experience at church based on the church's leaders, based on whoever preaches that week, whoever leads worship that week, and all of that stuff. And so, really I wanted to do something this morning that got us reminded about the fact that, yeah, our leaders have to do a good job, and we've got to lead you to a more devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. But when it comes down to it, I never, we never ever want you coming to church or not coming to church because of who's standing up here. We want you to come to church. When, we were reading, when I was reading that passage of scripture, you got three crosses. You got one here, one there, and one up there, right? And so we've got to be able to be excited about coming to church to gather together because of Jesus, right? Not because of who is or who isn't standing up here, but because of Jesus, all right? So we've got to, we've got to remind each other of that more, all right? So when you, when you know that someone hasn't been here in a while, don't be like, what in the world? where you been? Where have you been at church? What we really are concerned about is not even that people are in this building necessarily to have a great relationship with Jesus, because you don't have to be here every week to have a great relationship with Jesus. But what we are most concerned about is each and every individual in this room and your personal relationship with Jesus, and that he created the church so that we could sharpen each other, right? So it's not about me or Kyle or Tim or the band or Mark or Alan or any of the elders. It's not even about you, right? It's about Jesus. Love it. We've been using the phrase eternal perspective really a lot of times. I think I've said that phrase more times over the last four months than ever in my life before. An eternal perspective changes the way we live on the smallest basis, on a daily basis, on a minute-to-minute level. The way we spend our time, the way we think about and act toward other people around us. It changes what we actually start to think is important. It changes what we think about. It changes how we think about what we think about, right? It changes us on every single level to have an eternal perspective, to know that this is not our home, but because of Jesus, we've got hope. It changes everything. Like recently for me and and many people in the room over their lifetime, when someone close to you dies, it really causes us to think about what's after life. When we think about life, it causes us to think about what's after life. I want to show you a picture real quick uh, of, the, of a, um, I, th- I think you can probably see that all right, but my, my neighbor sent me this picture this week, and uh, it's a guy in a full-size Chevy Silverado, 
Okay, that is a full-size pickup truck. That's a beefy truck. Like if, if my truck hit a full-size Chevy Silverado, my truck would look like that, right? But that is a full-size Chevy Silverado, and you can see the guy's head right there. He's sandwiched in between two semis, okay? And what it says there is, thank God that I'm still alive. And then it goes down to say, now I've got to figure out why, right? That's a big deal. Now I've got to figure out why. I mean, what are, we, what are you thinking about this morning? Are you thinking about heaven? Are you thinking about someday you're going to be with Jesus and letting it transform the way that you act? Like you are alive right now at 1052 in this moment, in this time period for a very specific reason. And I don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. I might not make it through this message, right? I think I will. I hope I do. But I don't know. And so every single breath that I take is a gift from God. And so I've got to ask the question, why in the world am I alive See, even though Christians believe in heaven and hell, we rarely talk about them, right? We talk about a lot of other things in Scripture. We talk a lot about a lot of how Scripture shapes the way that we live now. But we don't really talk a lot about heaven and hell and the fact that they are realities and that they are the destination, one or the other, for all humanity, Matthew 25, 45 through 46 says, then he, will, then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This morning, our, our title, we're going to do a two-week, two-part message on eschatology. Okay? The word eschatology means the, end, uh, the study of the end times. Okay? This week, we're going to look at eschatology, the end times, our hope. All right, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. Next week it's going to be eschatology, stay awake. Right? Or I think it might be wake up. Same thing. All right? See, God the Father is someday going to deal with sin in the world. And he's going to put all destruction and all evildoers and all of that, he's going to put it to an end. This is coming, it's going to happen. But here's the deal, here's the beautiful thing for, uh, for, for us, for people who know and love Jesus as their Savior. And if you're here this morning and you really don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to think about this, all right? I'm not standing up here from a judgmental point of view. I want to stand up here in humility, knowing that, like 1 Corinthians 16 says, so all of you once were all of these kinds of sinful things. I think about my life sometime, and I think about if Jesus didn't save me, I know what I think about. Right? I know my thought process sometimes, and I, all I can do is say thank you to Jesus, because what my life would be without him, I wouldn't be married to Heather, 
That's for sure. I, would, I wouldn't be standing in front of you now. That's for sure. But when Jesus comes back, yeah, he's going to deal with destruction. He's going to deal with sin in the world. He's already finally dealt with it by his death on the cross. But he is going to put Satan in the lake of fire forever. Like he's already won the victory. But his primary reason, the biggest number one reason that we can be hopeful for that he is coming back is to gather his people, his bride, his church, his elect to himself to be with him forever, right? Your life is limited. It could end. You might not make it home today. You might not make it to lunch, right? It's a scary thought, but here's the deal. If you know Jesus, it's an awesome thought, right? We say it in our house all the time. Part of me wants to live on for a really long time and see my kids grow up and all this great stuff happen. Happen, But as we like, sometimes when we watch the news and we see what's happening in the world and wars and rumors of wars and, our, and politics are just what they are, we often say, oh man, I just want Jesus to come back today. I want this all to end and I, I'm afraid in so many ways about, about the future of our world, about my kids' future, about the fact that we have to raise them in this world. But here's the deal. If you've got kids, I don't care how old you are, if you've got kids or if you're going to have kids in the future, you have, you have a spouse, and if you don't have a spouse and you have kids, you've now got however many kids you've got to make disciples of, right? So your kids become, your family becomes, your spouse becomes, all of that becomes your number one ministry, this is going to happen. It's our hope. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions the subject of Christ's return or the end of time. Out of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there, will be over, uh, there are well over 300 references to the return of Jesus. 23 out of 27 New Testament books mention Christ's return. In the Old Testament... Well-known and reliable men of God, such as Job, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and the majority of all the minor prophets mention Christ's return in their writings. That's in the Old Testament. He hadn't even come the first time yet, but they're talking about his second coming. Okay, The fact that God knew all this was going to happen from the beginning of what we know as time is unbelievable. Because, again, I don't know what's going to happen in the next moment, but God has told us what is going to happen in the future. Christ even often spoke of his own return on earth, and throughout the centuries, disciples and followers of Jesus have adamantly believed, written, and taught that Jesus was going to return someday. See, so here's the deal if Jesus isn't coming back, if we don't have that hope, if the second coming is not going to happen, if we're not going to be in eternity with Jesus someday, then yes, I mean, salvation's got, it has benefits on earth, right? It does. It's got the benefits of being a part of a community called the church. It's got the benefits of knowing, like Kyle preached weeks ago, that we are blessed in our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, right? 
It's got those benefits, but really, if Jesus isn't coming back someday, then what's it all for, right? What What am I living for here on earth? To give God glory, but why? Because my final destination is no longer hell, it's heaven. There should be a lot more smiles in the room right now, right? I mean, this is happening. It's going to happen. And he's told us about it. John 14, 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then his disciples ask him, how do we know the way? What's the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So knowing about and being excited for the return of Jesus Christ, it should, keyword, it should change everything for us. Remember, he is not like we prepare our kids. I mean, this is a real legitimate fear for parents. Like, my kids are not going to be equipped to go out and live on their own, right? Or they're going to live at home forever or all this stuff. Like, we love you kids, but we don't want you living at home forever, right? He is preparing us to go home. He's not preparing us to leave home. He's preparing us to come home, right? It is so different and counter to the way we think about our own lives. I love it. So let's make an agreement as a church that we're going to talk about eternity and Jesus coming back more often together, right? Because the truth of the matter is that for anyone who is in pain, this should be the most comforting thought that you've ever had. And for anyone who's living in joy, this should be the most excitement that you've ever had. These two things, that Jesus loves you, he died for you, and that he is right now preparing a place for you and is coming for you someday, soon, in the grand scheme of things, to bring you home to be with him forever. Good job. You don't have to say those things, but it just kind of is like, whew, it's exciting. So when it comes to the subject of eschatology and talking about the end times, I acknowledge, and we as the leadership of Creekside acknowledge that there's a lot of different interpretations of, of what's going to happen in the end, okay? There's people who love Jesus, who believe that they're going to heaven someday, who... Um, believe that the Bible is without error, but interpret these passages differently, right? So, in knowing that, as leadership at Creekside, we've decided that these, that really, what, there's only a few things that you have to know and get right about the end times, okay? But in general, these are secondary issues, right? It's not going to be an issue of whether you should be a member here or of your salvation, right? Salvation, what we just read, is the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. If you've got that down, okay, this stuff can be exciting to you however you interpret this. I am going to present to you kind of what your leadership here at Creekside believes about the end. 
But I want to do that in humility, okay? So there's a few things that whatever you've heard about this, these things are going to happen, all right? First of all, there are some prophecies, actually, there's a lot of prophecies in the Bible that at 11.03 today, the 25th of January, 2015, have not happened yet, okay? They will happen. Number two, all of God's people will at some point be raptured from this planet, right? Number three, there is a great period of tribulation unlike ever has happened on the earth before and never will be again. And number four, eternity is real, heaven or hell are the destination of all mankind. So here's the deal. How should we react to this? We've got to get excited, but it should also just well up in us an urgency to bring the gospel to the streets. Because when we hear a passage like what we just heard, right, I don't want destruction and eternity in hell for anyone that I love. And who are we supposed to love? Everyone, right? I, I heard at camp one year, um, we watched a video of, you know, you know, Penn and Teller are, some of you may know that. Um, well, Teller, he is a, he's like an outspoken atheist, like just no God, I mean just outspoken atheist, right? And so what he said on this video, I mean this, I, I've, it just stuck with me because this was years ago. Okay, and he said, here's the deal. If God existed, which he doesn't, right? If God existed, which he doesn't, he said that about five times, so we got the point. If God existed and he gave you the answer to avoid eternal destruction, how much would you have to hate someone not to tell them about it, right? And that just played games with my head because I'm like, I don't hate none of my friends, but I'm just... I don't, I'm scared, right? I don't, it's, it's a hard thing to share Jesus with somebody. But here's the deal. As we live our lives and as we get excited about the hope that we have in Jesus, it's really living your life and not hiding the Jesus part of it, right? It's living your life and just like, don't put a wall up about the Jesus stuff coming out. Let it come out. Let it be a part of your life, right? Let people see that, and then like Kyle spoke a few, years, a few weeks ago, use your words when Jesus gives you the opportunities to use your words. We've got to be telling people this message, because I can tell you what, in the end, when we stand before Jesus, because this is happening, all of the fear and the reasons that I had for not being bolder for not being nuts for Jesus, for not wanting the world to call me crazy, they're really not going to matter, right? And I'm not laying a guilt trip on you because I'm right with you, right? I, it, this, it's hard to do. But this is our hope. I want to tell you about something. We're going to look at this, this from a 
foot view today because we could spend 20 weeks on this topic and still be going, right? So 50,000 feet today, but I want to I wanna tell you about something that we're going to call Creekside U, right? Creekside University, and Mark Klein is going to kind of spearhead this for us um, because we want to give you a chance to go deeper with this kind of stuff in the Bible. And so coming up in April... This is a, I'm not, I'm not selling like this and smacking it on Mark's plate so that if it doesn't happen, don't blame him. This is what we would like to do, okay? So coming up in April, um, listen for this, but we want to have a class which goes deeper, okay? And the first time we want to do it, it's going to be called Ready Defense, okay? Because we've got to know the Word of God, and we've got to be able to defend it to people out there who just don't believe in it, right? The second one, June or July, hopefully, is going to be a class on eschatology. So you'll be able to go from 50,000 feet today to about 10,000 feet, hopefully, and see things a lot closer and dig into them a lot more. So be looking forward to that. Okay, so here's kind of the order of events that your leadership pretty much agrees on, okay? Number one, the rapture of all believers, of all people, followers of Jesus for salvation is the next thing that's coming, okay? It's imminent, okay? There's many places in the Bible that say be ready. Be ready for the coming of Jesus. So, God's people will be raptured up out of this world and when that happens, the entire church will have, in one moment, disappeared from the earth. Because it says, in a twinkling of an eye. Imagine the chaos that will ensue at that moment, and it will throw this world into a period of tribulation that has never happened before. And then, at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, when all the nations of the earth have come against the nation of Israel, and it's about to be destroyed, Jesus Christ will come, actually come down, because the rapture is just all believers in the dead in Christ will rise first, we'll go meet him in the air, right? He hasn't come down to the earth yet, that's not his second coming, but in his second coming, at the end of the tribulation, he will come down to earth and put an end to all the corruption in the world. And then, and this is what I'm really excited about. As a kid, I used to think that I was going to spend eternity in this ethereal place called heaven, right? And I was like, that is going to be the most boring thing I have ever experienced. Because I thought, okay, I know there's no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. But I... In some ways, I really kind of like life on earth. I like being alive. I like feeling joy and in some weird way, pain, right? It makes you feel alive. I do not want to go sit on the clouds and play a harp and sing praises to Jesus forever. That is boring to me. But I'm really pretty sure that's not what it's going to be like. Because when we're raptured into heaven and we're given glorified bodies and Jesus comes back the second time to put evil to an end, here's the deal, and my kids get excited about this. 
We're going to be part of the army. And we won't be able to die. That's sweet. I always tell Heather, I was like, if, okay, i got to say this lightly, but I'm, I'm kind of a, a, um, a little bit of a sissy. Uh, we, we did paintless paintball at camp last night. I was at camp. And um, they're like, okay, it's time to put a counselor team together. And I was like, i got to go to the bathroom. I'm gone. Because all it was is like, hey, go run through this gauntlet and let the youth shoot you with paintballs that don't break. Those hurt like twice as much. And I'm like, all right. When I was in high school, I would have been like, woohoo, let's go do it. Shoot me in the face. It's going to be awesome. Now I'm like, I have more to live for than that. I'm not, I ain't doing that. Right? But I always say to Heather, if I could go, if I could go to war and there was no guns involved, it was just like fists and I mean, some of it is that. I'd go. Because some of me really, this is what makes me excited about being a part of this army and not being able to die. Right? So it takes care of the worst part of me because I'm not going to die. I mean, this is exciting, okay? I know this is like, seems maybe childish, but it's not. It's fun. It's exciting that this is going to happen. And when, when we come back to earth with Jesus, he is then going to, as the center of his kingdom in Jerusalem, set up his kingdom where he will reign perfectly as the king of kings and the Lord of lords for a thousand years on earth. And we will be with him in our glorified bodies on earth. This is, this is cool, Right? And then after that 1,000 year reign is over, the earth as is and heaven as is will be done away with. And the new heaven and new earth that God is right now working on, I should say the new heaven earth, is going to be where we spend eternity. So it's not this ethereal place where we're just, I mean, we are going to enjoy a new existence for eternity with glorified bodies with the king of kings forever and so all the questions that we have right now I've got a lot of questions for God that I often say first question I'm going to ask God is this Second, but I think and this is just me that when I stand before God somehow it's not going to matter anymore and so When we look at this passage, the context of this passage is really important to to see what the journey that the disciples' minds took them on. A couple weeks ago, or probably a couple months ago, Tim spoke on chapter 11, the triumphal entry. Remember, the king is still on the throne. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey and people were shouting, Hosanna, which essentially means save now, right? So when they were yelling, Hosanna, What they were actually saying was, save us right now, set yourself up as king right now, we're excited about that, of your earthly kingdom because we need somebody to save us out of the hands of the Romans, out of Roman oppression. See, they were right that Jesus was going to set himself up as king, right, that he would have an earthly kingdom. They were just wrong about the timing of it. Because here's the deal, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, which means he had a very specific mission when he came to earth. 
Without Jesus' mission accomplished in his first coming, in dying to save souls for eternity, he he came to seek and save the lost. Without him accomplishing that mission the first time he came to earth, then who's he going to come back for the second time, right? If that didn't happen, then the second time he comes back, it's really just to destroy us all. So without Jesus' sacrifice, sacrifice, the end doesn't matter much. And without the end, to bring about Jesus eventually reigning as king, then his death doesn't hold much weight either. And so we've got the disciples who are really excited about the triumphal entry, and that was on a Sunday or Monday. And between the triumphal entry and these things that happen, a few things happen to really throw the disciples off. They were really excited about, like, we're following the new king. Like, he's going to save us from Roman oppression. This is going to be awesome. But what happens in between Sunday and Wednesday? This is the last week of his life. It's called Passion Week. Throws them off in a big way. First, he makes a whip and clears the temple of all the money changers and merchants In doing so, threatening the economic status of both the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans. Right? So now he's got hatred on both sides. Two, his authority is then questioned by all of the religious leaders of the time. And three, he tells a parable against the religious leaders who had treated God's prophets shamefully and were about to murder the Son of God. Right? So now they're like, Jesus, you're screwing up your chances here. This is not going the way we thought it would go. And then the disciples proclaim, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Like, I think trying to bring them back to, like, <laughs> Jesus, you're talking about, like, despair here. We've we got to bring you back to the grandeur of the, what's about to happen here, right? And so these pictures of the temple are uh, essentially what Jesus saw um, when he uh, was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So Chris, can you put those, those pictures up there of, uh, of the temple? This is like a modern-day computer rendering of what they were talking about, right? You see these wonderful stones and wonderful buildings, and what does Jesus say to them? He says, yep, do you see them? Well, not one of those stones is going to be left upon another. They will all be thrown down. And his disciples and then like, all right, well, when's this stuff going to happen? And so what we just read in Mark 13 is, is called the Olivet Discourse. He was on the Mount of Olives looking to the east side of the temple and saw something like this, right? This is his final address, final day in his public ministry where he addressed people publicly about truth, Because the next day he would spend in private, then he would have the Last Supper with his inner circle, the disciples, and then he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and there be betrayed by Judas and handed over to the Romans and then finally his own people, the Jews, to be crucified. So, now three days from Sunday to Wednesday, after his triumphal entry, Jesus makes a prophecy, uh, no, this is not how it's going down. This temple is going to be destroyed. Here's the thing. Forty years later in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed by the Romans and the city and the nation. All of them were destroyed. 
And so from this passage, here's a few things that will characterize the rest of history to the end. Again, 50,000 feet, so I really encourage you to listen and, and watch for announcements on Creekside U because we want you to go deeper with this thing. We want, you to, we want this to shape how you think about your life now, right? Number one, from verse six, there will be religious deception, okay? And the things that I describe now, you gotta think about what our world is right now because this is describing things that will happen and are happening from um, Jesus' resurrection till, like, till the end happens, right? So there will be religious deception. I am he, no, I am he. Or, like we see it so often, we all serve the same God. All religions serve the same God. Or, yeah, Jesus is good for you, that's great. It's not good for me. Whatever's good for you is good for you. Relativism, universalism, that there's no absolute truth. I heard one time that the majority of world religions are 95% the same. The deal is what they do with Jesus, right? Which just means that Jesus is a big deal because this one truth changes everything for us. So religious deception, it's happening now and it's gonna continue to happen and it's only gonna get worse. There will be political and earthly destruction, verse seven and eight, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. We're right in the middle of that. And it's only going to get worse. These things are only going to happen more and more and more and more often. But here's our hope. Because what does he say? Do not be alarmed. These things must happen before the end. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So like a woman going into labor when they, when they start to have early contractions, you know the baby's coming soon, Right? That's what this is. Soon is a kind of a relative term with God because he does not, he does not operate on our timeline, right? So we think soon like it's going to happen in our lifetime. I don't know that. But unlike the despair that we would otherwise feel in a weird kind of way, Christians can really be and should be excited, right? Because we see all this stuff happening, and I'm sorry, but world peace is just not in the cards for the future. It's just not going to happen. And so on one hand, we could be really, really discouraged about that, right? Because we desperately want to raise our kids in a, in a world of peace, we desperately want to live in a world of peace. We desperately want things to get better politically. We desperately want these wars to end and our heart breaks for the people that are in the middle of these things. This is why we pray for our president. This is why we pray for our governing authorities. It doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. You gotta pray for them, right? But in the end, the fact that it's all going to get worse should give us hope because we've been told that. We know it ahead of time. There's not many things that we know ahead of time. But Jesus has told us this ahead of time. So that's our hope. 
The next thing that will definitely happen is the relentless persecution of believers. Verses 9 through 13. The Jews first, then Gentiles, and even in our own families. Now that just like <clears throat> breaks my heart to think about. So I pray for my kids every day. Even in our own families. But here's the fourth thing that's also true. That in the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit is going to be alive and active in it all. Because as we go through all of this, till the end, things are going to get worse. But somehow, followers of Jesus can live abundant lives in the midst of it all. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Okay, Jesus said it is better for him to go to heaven so that he's not just standing in front of you so that the Holy Spirit can be in you. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. So we don't worry, right? The verses that Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And don't worry about what you will eat or drink because I've closed the fl- clothed the flowers of the field. He's talking about this too. Don't worry about persecution. Yes, it's, it's, it, you could be riddled with fear and crippled by it. We worry about it because in our own flesh, we know we can't handle it. But what's, what's he telling us? He's saying you've, you've, you have to, you have got to be comforted by the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in every believer in Jesus Christ. And when those moments come, he will give you what to say. Maybe you haven't experienced that in your life yet. I'm going to pray that for you. Believe that that will happen and do not worry. I don't know how else to say it. In the midst of corruption, we can be hopeful. We can be joyful. And here's the deal. Moving from verse 13 to 14, we believe that between those two verses, okay, between those two verses, the fact that rumors of wars and wars are going to happen and all this stuff that I just said is going to happen. Between verse 13 and 14, somewhere in there, the rapture is going to happen and and God's people are going to be brought up because the Bible says that, that God's people are saved out of the tribulation. So this is what we call a pre-tribulation view of eschatology. Again, some people believe that the rapture is going to happen after the tribulation. Some people believe it's going to happen after the first three and a half years. Mid-tribulation view of the rapture. Okay, so there's pre-tribulation, mid-trib, and post-trib. Trib, I say that like I'm a scholar or something. It's called the tribulation. Okay? Luke 12:35 says, "Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes." We got to be ready at any moment for the coming I mean for, for to go see Jesus, to be raptured from this earth. 
See, Jesus told his disciples in verse 32, what we're going to look at next week, that not even himself, no man, no woman, not even the son himself knows the hour or the date. See, he was fully God. But he gave that knowledge up. Only God the Father knows the hour and the time that these things are going to happen. So here's the deal. We've got to be ready right now. We've got to start thinking about that moment right now and how I live. Even in the moments that I get stuck in my sin, right? It's just like God offers grace for it and we get up and we move on. Thinking about that day. Again, there's a lot of different beliefs on this. But this is how, this is what our leadership agrees on. So then verse 14 really picks up halfway through the seven-year tribulation. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation that is the worst that the, ever, the world has ever seen. And halfway through, the abomination of desolation being the Antichrist will set himself up as God standing in the holy of holies. And this will launch the world into the second half of the tribulation, which will be much worse than the first. And this is cool. Verse 20. Look at verse 20 real quick. We're almost done. Trust me. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Right? Here's the deal. We believe that people can still get saved in the tribulation. Right? The Holy Spirit will still be at work in people's lives. But God's plan A to bring the gospel to the world is the church. And at the moment of the rapture, the church is going to be gone from the earth. We have been called the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Salt preserves, and when you take the preservatives out of culture, out of the world, you can imagine why the tribulation is going to be as bad as it is. So people can still get saved, but God's agent of bringing the gospel to the world is going to be gone, right? This should just give us even more urgency to, in these everyday moments, bring the gospel to the streets. We, like, can't waste time. Right? The band is going to come back up. Again, we're going to continue on this topic next week because, we, I mean, two weeks is just not enough. Because I think that in order to really get excited, I, I hope from what you've heard this morning, you can really get excited in the midst of a world that seems to be going to pot. Right? I hope that you can get excited, but the more and more you dig into the truth of what Scripture teaches about these things, the more you can get excited, okay? So I, for one, am going to be at Creekside University, because I want to learn. I, we want you to learn. And so we're going to pause now and just take a moment, because like we said, if the end isn't real, if the end isn't coming the way that God describes it in Scripture, then Jesus' death doesn't hold much weight. But all of human history hinges and hangs on the fact that Jesus did come to earth this, the first time, that he did die, and that he is coming back 
to do complete love and justice at the same time. I mean, isn't that cool? Isn't that, it's even cooler that he told us about it. Although we don't completely understand the order of events, we know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And we should have an urgency for the gospel for those, of the, those that we know that aren't at this moment. And so I'm going to pray. And, and while we worship, come up to the front and take the bread and the juice, symbols of his body and his blood. Okay, because the, the, or go in the back. The best way that we can understand and get excited for the end is to pause to remember Jesus, to remember why the end is so excited, to remember the victory that is our hope that has actually already been won. Okay? So let's talk about this more as a church together. Let's use this to encourage each other in the midst of pain. Let's use this to be excited together in the midst of joy. Let's pray. God, thank you that your plan is perfect. Thank you that um, we can have hope in the midst of a world that is just getting worse and worse and worse. But God, we are the, the salt of the earth, the light of the world with your message. So we just want to remember Jesus right now. We want to say thank you as we focus on the cross, as we focus on singing these words to you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we just thank you so much that you found us on the broken road uh, and that you had nothing but mercy for us as we were lost and we had no way out but you. And I thank you that you, you seek us out and you come after us and our brokenness, Lord. And you heal us and you save us, Lord. And so I pray as we sing these songs and as we leave here, Lord, that our songs would continue as we continue to praise you with our lives. And as we live for you, Lord. So I just thank you again for salvation and for your love and for your mercy. So be with us all as we head out of here this week, Lord, in your name. Amen.